Hello, my name is Sergio Moreau. I am co-founder of Rebel Method, a community of founders creating a better world, and your host of the Blockchain Talks podcast, where we will be bringing you the latest from experts and innovators in the field that are talking about blockchain and blockchain applications. And this next episode is from the Blockchain Explorer event presented by MetaX, hosted at the Microsoft Conference Center in February 2018, talking about unlocking blockchain for digital advertising. And the next panel is on exploring the blockchain landscape with two representatives from Consensus Ventures, Viant and Celarius. My name is Igor Lilich. Um, uh, thank, you. thank you all for, for being here. Um, I have uh, been in the blockchain space for uh, uh, many years now, and I've been with a company called uh, Consensus since 2015, um, August of 2015. And I'm, I imagine you guys have, have all heard of Consensus. If not, um, we're a venture production studio. Um, we build decentralized applications. Um, and developer and end-user tools for blockchain ecosystems, focusing primarily on Ethereum. Um, our mothership is is actually here in New York City in, in Brooklyn on the on the L train, um, right next to a pretty good pizza store. Um, I think Joe always wears the Roberta's hoodie right now. Um, and yeah, so we. Um, Consensus really, really focuses on ecosystem building. Um, we have been part of the Ethereum ecosystem since day zero, um, day minus one even. Our founder, Joseph Lubin, he is a co-founder of the Ethereum project itself. Um, he has been a part of the Ethereum vision uh, since 2013, 2012 even. Um, you know, if you, if you ever hear Joe tell the story, he kind of um, read Vitalik's white paper for Ethereum, and he was on the next flight to Toronto um, to meet and be a part of the project. Um, this is a screenshot from uh, what was known as DevCon 1. Um, it was the uh, inaugural uh, public Ethereum developers conference. Uh, it took place in uh, November of 2015 in London. Um, and just one thing I wanted to point out is that um, Microsoft has been a massive, massive, massive enabler of everything we've been able to accomplish um, with consensus, with the blockchain ecosystem. Um, York Rhodes introduced me to Ken uh, a couple of years ago, uh, which started uh, MetaX's blockchain journey as well. And so. Um, you know, I just wanted to say thank you to, to Microsoft for hosting us and for continuing to be uh, a really great steward of this ecosystem. Um, so I think our panel, or our discussion, is called kind of blockchain landscape. And um, I think in pop, popular kind of blockchain um, media, the, the big stat and the big hype is on you know this this explosion of ICOs. Um, I actually don't even know what HDAC, this number one thing is that raised 258 million. I've never I've never heard of it, um, and I, you know I do this professionally. So, um, 
but you know, like almost four billion dollars raised in in 2017 is is no joke. Uh, that's that's an unfathomable unfathomable amount of money. Um, and I think it has gotten a lot of the attention. Um, the fundraising aspect of blockchain has gotten a lot of attention uh, in the ecosystem. Um, but you know, at consensus um, and through our partners and through our clients, uh, one of the things that we like to talk about is um, this aspect of blockchain is just the tip of the iceberg to this broader uh, movement to Web 3.0 and enabling you know an ecosystem of decentralization. Um, this is the iceberg slide that. If you ever see my brother give a presentation, he sometimes just does this one slide and talks for 40 minutes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, with at consensus, we like we like this hashtag Biddle. Um, it sounds a little funny, but it's a play on HODL. Uh, if you're from the from the Bitcoin uh, universe, consensus is a collective of 640 individuals at this point and continuing to grow um, more, yeah, uh, grows every day. Um, I think 47 projects, although probably more, um, really trying to explore um, all, the, all the possible use cases for this technology, trying to, trying to explore what um, this Web 3.0 ecosystem can look like when the end user is able to control their data, um, control their value, um, and break apart those silos. Um, the AdChain project has been a collaboration between uh, Consensus and MetaX. Uh, Mike Golden has uh, influenced that project very significantly and, and done a lot of work. And, and one of the things that's great about these projects is um, when when we focus on building technology, um, we learn and we discover things. So, one of the one of the kind of most talked about um, approaches to building blockchain systems today is the concept of token curated registries. Um, token curated registries uh, was was an idea that was formulated from the AdChain project. AdChain is the first token curated registry. Um, that's that's being implemented, and now you know, kind of the entire ecosystem is is talking about them, trying to figure out um, how we can implement them, how we can reuse them, um, and so, you know, I just want to impress that while there's definitely a lot of money being raised, sometimes it can seem like you know, uh, projects raise money and then and then you never hear from them again, um, but you know, I think. I think we probably have 300 developers uh, at Consensus, and I, you know, every single day um, they're writing code. There are uh, conferences and meetups, hackathons all over the world. Uh, I just got back from ETH Denver. Uh, I think ETH Memphis is coming up. Uh, ETH University of Toronto uh, coming up at the end of March. Um, ETH CC. Cool. Awesome. Wait, Creative Commons or what's CC? Uh, okay. Oh, okay, cool. DevCon in France. Um, and so we want to talk to you about two of our projects. Um, 
I'm going to talk to you about Solarius. Tyler is going to talk to you about Viant. Um, but these are just two of, of the many projects uh, that we have going on at Consensus. And one of the super cool things about building on Ethereum, particularly public Ethereum, is that these projects, over time, as they emerge, as they grow, they can actually interoperate with each other and use each other um, as a part of their project, as a part of their solution to their end customers. Um, and you know, if you catch Mike and me after this talk, we can also talk about how um, AdChain can also create kind of you know niche uh, advertising marketplaces for um, bespoke projects like Solarius. Um, so Solarius is a project that I've been working on. Um, again, uh, being at Consensus for for a number of years, I kind of um, really started focusing on the enterprise space, uh, consulting, kind of uh, building the ecosystem. And after two years, I kind of got tired of it, really. Um, and I had all this kind of creative energy um, in me and my team. And so um, what we decided to do was to create a new science fiction franchise. Right? Um, and we call it the Solarius Universe. Um, and it's a cyberpunk franchise that we intend to leverage blockchain technology um, as well as user-generated assets in order to create a collaborative narrative. Um, so the TLDR is Solarius is a fan-curated, collaboratively constructed cyberpunk, cyber, um, cyberpunk franchise on Ethereum. Um, Everything about our project you can discover on um, our website, solarius.network. Um, we just announced our alpha phase this past uh, a week and a half ago, again, at East Denver. Um, we, we've opened an initial alpha, but we also uh, kind of created this, this entry point to the universe. Um, it's this 70-page document that contains a bunch of really cool art um, a narrative of storytelling uh, tells the story of Earth in 2084 um, and what happens when the first kind of sentient artificial intelligence uh, activates and what that means for human civilization. Um, but it also uh, strives to kind of talk about you know, all this kind of emerging technology that is influencing our lives more and more and, and what the implications of that could be in kind of a hard science fiction kind of way. Um, and so an immediate kind of question is why? Um, why A, why blockchain? Um, B, you know, why, why cyberpunk? Um, honestly, I think the, the main thing that, that we're excited about is um, using storytelling as a way to kind of showcase the power of decentralization. Um, again, being in the blockchain ecosystem for so many years, I think a lot of projects tend to be uh, fairly technical in nature. Um, and so if you are uh, a not a developer or are not someone who is super technical, then you know, your, your options for engaging with a project are buy a token, join a telegram group, um, retweet 
you know, some founders and, you know, hope the token kind of raises in value so that you can sell later. And use Vine, because we'll talk about that afterwards. Yeah, and use Vine. Um, and so that's not a super kind of meaningful path to engagement for, for projects. Um, whereas our team really fundamentally believes that everyone is a storyteller. Um, everyone is a dreamer. Uh, we all go to bed every night, tell stories. We all uh, wake up every morning, uh, introduce ourselves to people, tell a story. Um, and so we kind of view uh, this project as, as a Trojan horse um, to onboard a non-technical cohort of users to blockchain technology and kind of explain the technology uh, through a storytelling lens. Um, kind of secondary, although it's important to me, um, we want to explore ways that we can kind of modernize copyright and intellectual property laws. Um, when you said ETCC, I got excited because I thought you were talking about Creative Commons. Um, but, you know, again, copyright is 300 years old. Uh, it's, it's this archaic system um, that definitely, uh, you know, the incumbents have a lot of say, a lot of lobbying power. 95% um, of the media franchises in North America are owned by five companies, um, five conglomerates. Um, and so they definitely throw their weight around in IP laws. Um, and we have this new platform where we can, again, give power back to the users, give power back to the individual content creators, um, and allow content creators to realize meaningful value from their contributions. Um, so our goal is to try and kind of create a story that might actually end up being owned by the people that create it, um, rather than, you know, a centralized organization a la Disney or, although I love Disney, right, but um, a la one of these major five conglomerates that own all of the media um, and focus on a way to tell stories where, you know, we, we want to share our fictions and share our um, myths um, with one another um, in a way that is open and collaborative rather than in a way that is kind of restrictive and, you know, centralized. Um, so that's a little bit about Solarius, and I will hand it over to Mr. Malta. Thank you, Igor. There, there's really three things that I'm going to talk about that kind of explain how we're thinking, because I think we're, we're ahead of a lot of people in this industry, and people in advertising understand supply chains because there's a massive problem with supply chains in advertisement, advertising both from a purchaser perspective and from an advertiser perspective. So, Although we deal with physical and digital goods, I'm going to put this in a physical context, so then you can, it's, it's a lot easier to just mental, uh, for mental images. So what we're seeing in the marketplace is this exponential demand for providence-informed products. This is like conflict-free gold, the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, um, where your ads are coming from, where they're being served, etc. Um, but the story starts really three years ago when Igor, and Kishore Treya, another one of my co-founders, and a few other people started the Enterprise Consulting Group within Consensus. So this was at, literally at a time, six people around a table in Brooklyn, getting calls from Fortune 50 companies asking them what they should do with their blockchain strategy, and thus they created a consulting firm to deal with that. So um, when you see, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Enterprise Group, it was really like, 
Igor and a couple guys figuring out like how to create the decks that will explain this new technology and how, how to do these massive transformations. So that led to a couple consulting wins. So I'm going to skip real quick. Um, where we track vaccines. So this was for um, one of the largest health technology companies in the world, um, where a, um, an NGO could, could get funding for a vaccine um, a vaccine case. It would be manufactured, it would be shipped to um, someplace in Africa, and then finally administered to a person. And there's, so, there's a lot of like, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, quickly, like, that's a fucking awesome, sorry, uh, ICO use case, right? It's like, if we crowds ICO, like, vaccinations for kids around the world. Like, so we're gonna, we're gonna do that, you're all in, you're all in the pre-sale for that. Uh, so vaccines were like one of the largest technology healthcare companies in the world. And then um, some of you may know the BHP bulletin use case where we put rock samples, uh, their supply chain on the blockchain. So this was like where the company planned a bunch of samples and then the rig out in the middle of the Gulf acquired them and then it was shipped to a vendor to be analyzed and then uh, be stored and if it smelled and looked like oil then they'd make a billion dollar investment. Um, we also are building one of the largest land registries in the world, which Igor also helped sell um, in one of the countries in the Middle East for a private company. So, like, from three years to three different really tiring, hard consulting use cases later, we realized that pretty much everyone was talking about the same thing and just calling it different things. So they were calling it vaccines, or they were calling it oil, or they were calling it ads, but really it's just an asset. So it's really important to get the concept of an asset-centric supply chain. So when you think of supply chains, you think of like all the different graphs, which I'll show you one later, but really it's it's a product or a thing that goes along a journey, and that thing changes and attributes get you know attached to that thing. So I, I have a great slide that you can like visualize this. Um, but the, so the history part, the tell-all is that Igor and a bunch of people in a room came up with this strategy that sold like incredible consulting projects that led to an organic need. Um, that is now buying. So I have to thank Igor for doing this, the hard work so I can come in and swoop in and like create a product out of it. But um, yeah, so this, this, this didn't come out of like some, some white paper that we just dreamed up. This came out of like real client over and over and over. We just kept on hearing the same thing and said, let's productize it. Because um, as Igor said, if you're not a developer, you're not technical, the ability to participate in this world is fairly limited. But with Avian, and I'll get to this a little bit later too, you don't need to know how to program, and you don't need to know how to code to create a blockchain application for supply chain. So it's literally, if you if you understand the supply chain and you understand the context I'm about to show you, you can create your own blockchain. So pay attention, because if you want to be a beta customer, we're going to be accepting those soon. Uh, okay, so so this is this is that um, this is the tell-all of how to think about supply chains from three consulting engagements that led us to create a platform that uh, our current beta customers are like GlaxoSmithKline and the World Wildlife Fund and an oil and gas super major and one of the largest consumer packaged goods companies in the world that are all in very different industries building very different solutions to solve very different problems all on the same platform. So we, we've completed the first round of beta customers so this is, we think we have a validation of the MVP so like this framework has held, has held up so far. Uh, so going back to the asset-centric view of the supply chain, we have, this is in the context of a package. So we're shipping a package here. So the package is the, the asset, and then the package is going to go along a journey, and you're going to need to know certain things that's important to the providence and the history of that asset. So when you're creating the label, if you're a small business owner and you're shipping like a bunch of widgets, 
um, you're going to create a package and you're going to put this this tag on it, and you, you're going to need to know like who the sender info is. That's you. Uh, how how much it weighs and how much it costs. Maybe those are the three attributes. Um, and then when you go to the front desk clerk at FedEx, for example, and they accept it, maybe they have to have a signature. So that signature is an attribute. And that's a file, and it's uploaded to IPFS, Interplanetary Filing System. So I'm, I'm getting convoluted here, but so there's an asset, and it it, it captures certain attributes along its journey. Um, and then you define its journey, so the business process. So where does it go? It goes from creation to then um, accepting, and then to a shipment, and then to a distribu distributor, and then it's finally delivered to the end customer, and then that customer has a picture of themselves or a signature. So that's the business process. And then you you wrap like role-based access controls around that, so who can do what, and you have a supply chain. So this can be you can trans translate a package to a vaccine, you can translate a package to a barrel of oil or an ad, and typically, you know, there's an asset that goes along the business process. It seems incredibly simple. But it's not an easy concept to get, um, and it took a lot of design thinking to come up with this this slide. So tell all. I'm gonna move move up real quick. Um, actually, I kind of went over that. Um, so what actually is Viant? Like this is all cool theoretical stuff, but what did we build? Um, it's made up of three core components. We have the modeler, the smart builder, and the tracker. So the modeler is where a subject matter expert or anyone who's non-technical and just understands the process and, and the asset and the attributes um, can go on our platform and build a supply chain solution. So this is literally like a drop-down menu. Do you want it to be sender information is like a string. Um, quantity is a number. And so you get to define all these things with literally just typing them in and putting drop-down menus and clicking, filling in like little bubbles. Um, this all happens off-chain because you're manipulating stuff. And then you, you or your system admin, admin um, clicks literally one button that's a magic wand, and the smart contracts are auto-generated, and the user interface is auto-generated. So it eliminates that like six months of consulting work to build a backend. So we go from ideation to blockchain creation, which used to take us six months, now it takes us like 60 minutes if it's a really long demo. So we're talking like 10x, 20x, 100x um, time difference here. And the last part's the fun part, last part's the tracker. This is where you can go in and start searching assets, creating assets, moving them around. You have certain access to do stuff, you don't. You can see the dashboard being updated. You log in with the username and the password, um, and you can start using it. And I use like a very physical, like it's a package example here, and there's people going in and doing stuff. But in the future, this can very well, because it's completely API enabled, so this can translate into a digital good like seismic data for a mining firm, um, and IoT devices. So I, as long as the IoT device can sign a transaction, um, cryptographic secure, we can give them an account, um, public-private key pair that they can sign a transaction, and um, it'll just they can just use our APIs. So um, from a what is Viant, it's a build it, one-click deployment, and you have a blockchain, you can start using it. Um, key differentiators, I kind of went over these. Um, and this is the last slide can't see, so it's supposed to say analytics layer, but it's blacked out right there. Um, Intern mistake. Um, so back to the asset-centric view, we have providence on the bottom layer because if you mess up the providence part, you pretty much mess up everything above it. It's like building on quicksand. So there's already, I mean, you probably heard some of these companies, but now there's a graveyard full of them that went right to the value layer, but they didn't really build the providence layer, and now they're no longer in existence because 
they'll come up with the same problems that we had designed to think through. So we took a little bit more time, but we built out that providence layer. And what that enables is all sorts of things to be built on top of it from a value transfer layer. And this is like trade finance or from an advertising perspective, paying different parties automatically, but you need that asset first to be able to do any of that. Um, and then on top of that, so once you have this, this value transfer layers, which really are like, can be completely different businesses, then all of a sudden markets start happening. Because you have a good foundation, you start putting money in the mix, and then people just naturally gravitate towards that. So you, all of a sudden you have, um, and because Ethereum offers a decentralized trust network where open markets can emerge and thrive, the future will foster value creation that's inclusive, allowing those who create network value to capture that value. And that, that, last sign, that, that last sentence is really important because there's this network value creation that's happening and it's gonna happen to all of us. So it used to be like Word was valuable when other people had Word because you could send them documents and they could open it and Word made all the money. I mean, we're in Microsoft right now. Um, probably a bad example. In the future, Microsoft is going to help us participate and capture some of that value while enriching um, the ecosystem. So. This slide, along with that solutions diagram, along with the Igor and Mike um, example of who started Consensus and why I'm here, is really like the how we did this, what happened, um, and Intel Lullaby. So I, I hope that was helpful. Uh, and I hope you got at least like the Providence part out of this. since um, we kind of started Solarius is how, so this goes back to before what I was saying, like the cool thing about building on public Ethereum is that it's a shared database, right? And all, all projects can kind of interoperate with each other if they so choose. Um, just quickly about kind of our process, um, Solarius, some of, some of the things that we do um, to, to kind of get an artist out there to draw something for us, right? We will email them, um, they'll respond, we'll have a conversation, um, we'll ask them if we could commission their art for as a work for hire. Um, we will send them a DocuSign contract that, you know, specifies exactly um, what, they're, what they're gonna draw for us, what the ownership rights of that are, that they're transferring those rights to us, that they're going to get paid for it. Um, they docu-sign that, and then they go about their process. Um, we, we give them a Dropbox folder. Um, they, they throw in kind of their early sketches. Um, we give feedback, et cetera, until they're done. Um, and then we have like a final version, a final piece of art. Um, all of the provenance of that piece of art is something that we, as a company, um, have access to. We have access to the DocuSign um, contract, we have ac access to um, the payment information, we have access to the final product, we have access to all the intermittent uh, products. Um, and so when, when I talk about building a uh, media kind of entity that is owned by the collaborators that actually create it, um, one of the things that something like Viant could enable for us is giving um, the entire network 
a view into the ownership trail of all of those pieces of art, all of those stories, um, hopefully one day films or you know um, whatever kind of uh, piece of piece of work that gets commissioned either by us on behalf of the project or by someone else in the community um, who wants to commission a story, you know, or, or a picture of their like super cool character that they really want to see realized but might not have the talent for uh, to do themselves, they can, they can kind of commission that. And so what you can, what you can envision or foresee is that if we, if we make all of that transparent and enable all of the content creators to actually like own all of their assets throughout the journey of the creation of those assets, then you can layer, as Tyler said, we can go back up. Um, then we can start to layer on top of that, right, the, the value transfer. Um, you said there was an analytics? Yeah, analytics is the side. So you could do analytics on the provenance layer, the value transfer layer, or the markets layer. Um, yeah, so it goes up the exactly. And so, and now what you could do is like you could see like which stories are being consumed the most, which art is being consumed the most, who's paying for what, how is it being paid for, and again, because it's Ethereum and it's public blockchain, you could automatically um, distribute that revenue back to the content creators based on the consumption of the art relatively real time. Like there's no reason that like you couldn't pay the director of a, you know a short film uh, the moment someone watched that short film if you have kind of this provenance and supply chain built into the product from the onset. Um, so you know I guess that's like one of the one of the cool things that we're excited to explore is like how can we, and this goes back to like uh, trying to change copyright and intellectual property. It's like, hey, there's this other way now where everyone, uh, everyone's in the pool and everyone has access to all of the stuff that they've created. Um, what does that look like uh, for, for content and media? Now, there's a lot of work to do to actually realize this, right? It's also a lot of education. Um, it's not intuitive, it's not, um, our artists, you know, some of our artists insist that we pay them in Western Union because that's what they know. Um, and that's fine, like, we'll pay them in Western Union, uh, but when, when, you have a, when you have an artist in Argentina and you tell them, hey, I can send you some Bitcoin or whatever, he's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want Bitcoin, I want, I want cash. Right, so send me some Western Union. And so there's a long way to go to get to where we uh, envision we can get to, and certainly we will pivot along the way. But you know, it's definitely uh, really exciting what is possible um, with with these technologies and, and kind of how people are exploring uh, these use cases. Um, so we have 12, 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes for questions. Um, Thank you. This is a question for you, Tyler. Yeah. Um, for provenance for physical products, do you envision um, being able to use this technology to find out where the fraud is happening along the supply chain? Because I got to imagine, like, um, 
from shipping some grain from the United States to Europe. Um, it's just a sticker or a QR code on the outside of the container um, going a long way. It's not someone checking each time to make sure what's inside of the box or what's inside of the shipment is, is real or accurate. That's, that's still a, a human done process, I guess. Like, along these different stages, like, how do you envision utilizing this technology to make sure that the end product I actually ordered is what I want rather than just um, a fraudulent product that comes to the end user? Great segue into the slide that I didn't present. Um, so I think that there's always human problems. Um, the beauty about building a platform rather than a solution is that you can um, you can iterate on the solution depending on what your consumers are what, or what problems you're seeing. So if you build something on buy-in and you pull all those levers and you realize that this actually needs to be a QR code or this actually needs to be an RF, RFID or tamper-proof NFC, you just change it rather than like hiring another dev team to change everything. Um, this is a use case in uh, partnership with the World Wildlife Fund and Sequest um, where we track tuna. So this, this could not be more of a physical, like how are you gonna do this question. Um, and so you can see here that we have some of those levers, right? So the roles are on the left side. So we have the fisher who catches the fish, the regulator who validates it, uh, the processor who processes that fish, the distributor or retailer who sells it, and then the consumer who then like looks up the history on their phone. This is an actual picture of the mobile app that we have. So you can see that the fish caught was caught, it weighed in kilograms, 11 kilograms. Um, the species is yellowfin tuna. The catch zone is blah, blah, et cetera. So the consumer can actually go through that. Um, we provide an ability for the, also for, so if the consumer only wants to know three of those things, they don't have to see everything. But yeah, to answer your question, okay, there's human problems. Um, how, do you, how do you solve it? This bottom part is the first piece. So you have like RFID here, and then you have scanning, scanning a QR code when you catch the fish. So you put, you put a, um, uh, right there, that's a tuna with a QR code on it. Uh, if you can see it, it's, it's pretty small, but this is the actual tuna that they, that they caught. And this is like actually the Sequest team. So that's like Ken, um, who's, building, who's building out this, the front end. Um, and then that's Bubba, Bubba Cook in there, the best name in blockchain. Um, so yeah, there's, there's gonna be human problems, but it's gonna have to be iterative. And the awesome part about blockchain is that you can make it public and people can audit that. So you can invite people like slave free trade in to see whether the, the, the supply chain is that. And they can have an attribute that says, yeah, I was here at this time, and yes, the, the factory conditions were, were of, of par. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a tough question. But. Just a quick comment on, on that last part, because it's blockchain and because it's all market-based, like, presumably, like, if you have this supply chain and people are transparently auditing it, and maybe there is a token of value, maybe not, right? I don't, not all tokens are necessary, but if, if there was, then maybe, like, people find out, oh, actually, they're, fraudulent, uh, maybe that token of value or that consumer good or whatever loses some of that value because of the transparency. Um, so it's kind of a many eyes uh, approach to trying to solve some of this as well. Yeah. I had a quick question. Sure. Carrie Aldridge again. Hi. Hi Carrie. <laughs> um, so say for instance your client, your WWF is with you for several years and they say, you know what, we've grown so much we better understand the infrastructure now. What if we want to make our own um, UI and, and blockchain? Where is all this data now? Like, is it really a decentralized blockchain and they just want to make their own interface and leave you? How do you deal with clients who want to leave? 
Yeah, so um, they can take the data. So we have an Excel export, so they can just take it all. Um, the better answer is if they just want a UI, since it's API enabled. Um, actually, in this case, Ken, who's up on the top right on the second picture, is building a custom UI for um, Sequest. So we think of blockchain as a vault, as this, this mutable place where you stick information that's only important to the providence and the history of that asset, not like every single piece of data. So I, I think of, like, blockchain is not going to replace existing, completely replace existing databases. It's going to be kind of a harmony. So stuff that you, that's not important for the providence and history is going to be a, a better database. It's like very, you know, very good. So um, what Ken is doing is building a custom UI and using our API endpoints um, to push and pull data in. So you can create your, your own custom application. And if you want to just pull all that data, Excel um, export, you can export the processes and the assets you create um, right now in a JSON file, so JavaScript object notation. Um, and you can take those and give them to another person to build their own blockchain. And the client here on the, the last part, mm -hmm. where it's at the plate. Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen Portlandia, where yeah. the couple is like, well, where did this chicken come from? Yeah, did it have friends? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, what was his life? Uh, anyone can access it, wherever that plate is. You know, the, I'm just wondering, like, is the data of that plate, is it verified on multiple different nodes? Oh yeah. So is this a multi-node network? Yes. Yeah, we can. You you can have as many nodes as you want. Okay, cool. Yeah. I want to be a customer. Cool. Okay. We have a customer number one. Okay. I think one just one quick thing on that. Um, our our friend, our close friend, Mark D'Agostino, who's the co-founder of a project called Grid Plus, which is an energy utility based in Texas that's trying to uh, bring real-time pricing uh, to the energy markets via Ethereum. He gets this question a lot, like, what if uh, energy retailers in Texas start to adopt this technology and they have uh, more weight behind them, more expertise, and you guys kind of get flexed out of the market? Um, and Mark's response is great, and I think it's actually strangely indicative of a lot of blockchain people, is he says, good, like, if it creates better market conditions for the end customer and, like, makes the world a better place, like, good, like, let them let them outcompete us. Let them. Uh, it's you know we're we're here to like innovate and try and um, bring new solutions and and I think um, yeah maybe it, maybe it's a weird blockchain thing that like yeah. it's it's about trying to improve the status quo. I think it's honestly it, it, it is that from from like a higher level perspective. And there's some people like Mike Golden who are just live in that that world his entire life. But there's other people that just realize that the the pie is so big that if somebody takes that little piece from you, you're already going to be in that world and you're going to find a way to help them out. Um, yeah, it's in the partnerships and like we're in Microsoft right now. Um, we've said thank you to your growth for doing a million things for us already. Um, there's a million other partnerships that are all those are rising right now. Um, so it's not a, it's not really a concern. I don't think with getting like getting killed or getting eaten. At this point, kind of far. <laughs> oh, and York in the house. Yeah, York's Thank right over. Thank you, York. So I think it's awesome that you're modernizing copyright and IP laws. So I wanted to ask, uh, what are the different ways that content creators can monetize 
what they create within Solarius's universe. Right. Um, so we're we're kind of just getting started on this path, um, and we're spending a lot of time with legal. Um, if if you have been in the token space, um, you know that you know there's there's securities laws considerations um, and kind of all these all these aspects. You have to be like really really careful um, how to um, kind of distribute value to people. Um, in order to, to make sure that you're not violating SEC laws, basically. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're trying to explore a whole lot of different approaches. Um, and also talking to kind of the community um, out there on their approaches and what they're doing. Um, I, I kind of think that uh, digital art on the blockchain is this kind of massively untapped, really exciting space. So there's this website um, called dada.nyc, um, and what they so a it's a social network. Um, you create a post by drawing, and then people respond to you by drawing a response. And you can only create on the platform. You can't upload things. Um, and so there are some conversations that are these beautiful, you know, um, flows of art um, that people are just kind of spending their time and drawing on top of. And then, alongside the social network is a digital art marketplace, right? So, uh, creators of art, if they so choose, they can paste their art, they can put their art on the marketplace um, and specify, you know, the rarity of the art. You know, I'm going to only issue 10 copies of this, or I'm only going to issue, or I'm going to issue a thousand copies of this. And um, based on the rarity, you know, there is a marketplace of people that are buying, um, you know, rights to, that are buying the digital art that, that gets assigned to their public Ethereum address, and they, they now own that piece of art. Um, and artists get monetized, or artists get, see that revenue uh, directly, and actually the way that Dada does it is, on the secondary market, if I if I purchase a piece of art and I sell it to someone, even on the secondary market, um, the smart contract will send, I think it's 30% of that sale to um, the artist again. So even even in secondary markets, the artist sees that value. So there are definitely a ton of approaches that people are exploring, um, and I think we're just scratching the surface of how. Um, collaborators in these communities can start to, to realize values that aren't securities concerns, that are actually like real, just kind of marketplace dynamics. Cool. Like, can I start getting paid for Solarius? Um, not yet. We're, we're still building. And we're also hiring developers, if, if you guys know of any developers. Um, for, for Solarius, how are you guys, uh, are, are you are, are your collaborators all people you've reached out to right now, or have people started, have there been inbound? Like, how are you building that community? Yes, yeah, so, sorry, that was my presentation timer. Um, so, before we launched, we were um, kind of all just reaching out to artists to help kind of create the initial documents. And then, um, actually, in at the East Denver Hackathon, one of our bounties was creating a story. So we had six submissions for stories, um, and 
Absolutely, we want we want like inbound community members to create. Um, there's a there's a really interesting um, community called Archive of Our Own. Archive of Our Own is a fandom community. You pick a fandom, pick a franchise. It's going to be on Archive of Our Own. There's going to be people uh, writing fan fictions in that universe. There's crossover universes. Um, there's there's a whole there's a robust tagging system, so you know you get to choose what you want to read. Um, fans create, right? Fans um, love to engage with the platforms, or sorry, the franchises that they care about. Um, I really love Firefly as a TV show. If you guys have ever seen Firefly, there's there's a broad uh, community of, of they call themselves brown coats, which are fans of Firefly and brown coats as a thing in the universe. And so, you know, we want to enable that. We want to, we want to be a franchise that, like, lets uh, their, our fans kind of engage in any, any means that they want. Um, and so, the, the challenge from our side is creating a compelling enough story that people uh, feel involved and, and want to engage with. So that's kind of where we're at now is, is just trying to uh, work with kind of professional uh, universe builders and storytellers so that the story is compelling um, and gives enough kind of uh, structure to the universe uh, so that other collaborators can come in and, and kind of also tell their story. Cool. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I saw one more. Okay, oh. Catherine, go ahead. Hold on. <laughs> I'm coming over. Oh, fall off the thing. Hi, so um, this question is about Solarius. Um, it, it's, I have two questions actually. One is, is it in any way connected to Solaris in terms of your name? Um, if that's a part of your own fan fiction. Um, but then the other question I have is really relating to the artists. Um, I invited some people here today and unfortunately they weren't able to come. Um, they're architects and they're building something which is very uh, relevant to you. So. I'm just sort of curious, like, I know this last question sort of touched on that, but how would one engage uh, with that? Right. So, quickly on the, on the name, Solarius, um, there is a gentleman named Samuel Butler who, in 1863, wrote a book called Erwan. And in Erwan, uh, he discussed the rise of the machines <laughs> um, and how man's successor on Earth is going to be, um, you know, enabled by machines, and we either uh, stop it right now, or we kind of uh, let it go, and, and sooner, not sooner or later, we, you know, will be overthrown. Um, again, in 1863, he was writing about this. His pen name was Solarius, um, which is, a, I guess, a, a, a last name. Um, so we chose that um, as to not infringe on any other copyright. Um, we have a website, solarius.network. Uh, we have an alpha application form. Again, we're just getting started, so we have a lot of um, things to build. And then um, I'll also stick around, and I've got a card, and we could connect, and definitely would love to connect with, with architects, tailors, pottery aficionados, whoever. Um, transmedia franchise means we want, we want like all the, all the things. Um, so I would love to connect. Thank <laughs> you.
Okay. Thank you. And that was exploring the current blockchain landscape from the Blockchain Explorer event presented by MetaX. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Talks podcast. My name is Sergio Marrero, your host and co-founder of Rebel Method. If you like the episode, please do comment and share. A special thank you to Newbie Music for the track. A link to the track is also in the podcast notes. Please join us next time to hear more from Blockchain Talks and hear the latest on blockchain innovation. 